Out of the Box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Hello there, FBI radio listener. Joey Watson here. And God, does it feel wonderful to be broadcasting live from this FBI radio studio bunker. If you've not come to us before, uh, every Thursday I'm joined by one person. We have a chat about their life peppered with a selection of records to complement those particular stories. And today, I'm live in the studio with a very familiar FBI radio voice. It belongs to Morning's host, Bridie Tanner. Bridie is somewhat of an FBI radio veteran now and is destined to make a considerable splash in the Australian music radio scene. From growing up in regional New South Wales, travelling around Australia in a protest rave as a young kid coming to terms with the onset of her mum's mental illness at a young age, Bridie has brought a whole lot of life experience to the microphone at FBI, where she has been comfortably um, for the past few years. Bridie, a warm welcome to Out of the Box. I wonder, Bridie, where, where were you... Um, do you remember where you would have been when you first discovered that FBI even existed as a radio station? So I moved down to Sydney when I was about 18 years old, and I didn't come from a place that had cool community radio stations, so we had very limited amount of radio that you could listen to. It was basically commercial or the ABC. Mm-hmm. And coming down to Sydney, wanting to get into radio, everyone's like, oh, you have to check out FBI. You'll love FBI. So radio was already, you already had a radio dream. Yeah. You'd moved from Grafton, which is in regional New South Wales, and we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah. Um, but you already had a vision of radio. Where yeah. did that come from? Big, big dreams. Uh, small town girl, big city dreams to work in radio. I think it came from basically having a radio in my room and just having that on as my connection to the world outside of Grafton. So listening to music constantly and that goes way back into my childhood. I remember when I was about maybe seven years old, calling up the local commercial radio station and requesting Afro Mans because I got high. Uh, to no success from that music jock, but, you know, maybe you'll play it for me today. I don't know. Sure. P- pushing uh, p- pushing the, world, the wonderful world of music from an early age. Um, what about your first contact with FBI? How long did that take? You'd moved to Sydney. You had a radio dream. Someone tells you about the existence of this radio machine and uh, where's your first contact? So I'm refreshing the website, waiting for them to do a volunteer intake, which they do each year. Refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Uh, Not trying not to get too nervous about it, but really keen to get in. And then one day it just pops up. We're taking volunteers and it was like, (gasps) okay, okay, be cool, be cool, be cool. You know, I had listened to the station now for a few months I had fallen in love with so many of the programs and so many of the hosts and so much of the music I just couldn't believe that something so me existed in the world and wanted to become a part of it so desperately I was also a bit of a nervous Nelly because I kind of I don't know I was quite intimidated by cool city folk I felt like I didn't really fit in down here in Sydney and I put in an application and they got back and said that I was going to come in for an interview and that was probably one of the best emails I've ever received. What, what does the volunteer intake interview look like for someone that hasn't, hasn't touched on, on that before? You're sitting in a boardroom with about eight other cool-looking, in-touch, on-the-pulse sort of young people. And there's two people from FBI basically going around and asking questions. And you know those group interviews where everyone answers around in a circle and it's like slowly coming towards you and you're like, okay, 
you know, I got this. And then someone says your answer and it's like, okay, I've got to think of something else to say. <laughs> yeah, you never know whether you want to be the first in the circle or the last. There's pros and cons to both. Yeah, I, I think I plotted out to sit somewhere in the middle so I had enough time to think of my answer, but not so long that everyone would said, have said anything you could possibly Str- say Strategically about done. How long does it take for you to find out the outcome of that? It took a fair few weeks and I was refreshing my inbox every day you know how you do when you're waiting to hear back from a job and you just want it so badly and you just don't even realise you're doing it but you're just refreshing your inbox. You pretend you don't care but you, you pretend really you don't care. care. And I had talked myself out of it. I was like, whatever, like, I don't care if I get it or not. Like, who cares? It's fine. And nothing came for ages and ages and I was like, don't even care, whatever. But I checked my junk mail uh, one, one day and there was an email in there from an FBI person an FBI email address and I was like oh and it said dear Amicia like it was addressed to someone else we'd love to have you in at FBI and I hit respond and I was like thank you so much thank you so much You'll take I, didn't, it. I didn't get it. I didn't give a shit that it was addressed to someone else <laughs> no na- naturally yeah so you start volunteering where are you in the station when you start off and I mean how long ago is this now oh like 2013 right so I was four years have passed yes mm. some some many many years have passed since then mm. and I was on the front desk and I was a receptionist for the station and I was so eager to do a good job <laughs> what does that look like what does it mean to be eager on the front desk like just really alert and when people would come to the front door I was in charge of letting them in with the buzzer you know sort of high importance jobs like that and I would sort of not want to hit it so soon that they wouldn't like know that I was alert and opening the door for them. I want them to get close enough to hear it that like, but they wouldn't have to press the buzzer. It, it was, it was a bit intense for everyone involved. I'm sure. <laughs> this is a very unique uh, FBI, FBI radio story because the buzzer, um, the speed on the buzzer at the door does somehow eventually open up opportunities. It determines for you, right? your whole future. It Joey. determines your future. How did that happen for you? How did it progress from there? How did it progress? Well, I spent a little while on the front desk and then I actually moved up home to do my last year of uni at Lismore internally. And then I came back and I was, had a, sort of a, maybe a bit more confidence and I was like, okay, hitting up people, like what's the go with getting into some producing? And eventually a slot came up on Jack Shit's show on a Saturday oh, for a producer. I love that show. One of my most listened since well before I was at, at FBI, probably when you were producing it. I think it was a really good fit for me because I loved, you know, working really hard and trying different things. And Jack Shit is the kind of guy who wants to throw all of the rules of radio out the window and create this sort of immersive program space. So I was really keen to get involved on that show. And I loved his, I loved his attitude towards things. He's really, you know, he's strongly opinionated. He will boycott stuff, call shit out on air. He's the only presenter I've actually ever heard on this station, possibly ever, say, that was a shit song, don't you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> like, when do you hear that? No. I mean, on, on, on this show, I get the advantage of, you know, having guests from varying backgrounds yeah. bringing in a whole variety oh, of Oh, I'm going to play songs. some real stinkers for you today, Joey. But, you know, if a song's um, brought on with enough enthusiasm, then, um, you know, it's enough to make anything sound good. Uh, so... Eventually, your uh, dulcet tones do come on to the airwaves. How does that happen? How do you go from producing with Jack Shit to speaking on the air? 
So I want to shout out to anyone who's ever been rejected from a job that they really wanted multiple times because this is what happened to me. I applied for presenter training three times and got knocked back all three times. <laughs> Again, the uh, the group interview thing probably got to me a little bit. I wasn't I wasn't on my my best foot. I was probably a little bit you know shaky and nervous and didn't come across quite right and. I actually ended up volunteering at a another community radio station and started presenting their breakfast show and got, you know, got my chops up there. Got your chops up. And then came back to our then programming director and said, hey, do you want to have a listen to my show maybe? She was like, hey, this is good. You can start on the all-nighters next week if you like. I was like, bye to the other station. <laughs> You're going to need to find someone else. <laughs> that was what you needed. What happens in an all-nighter? Well, I mean, the, the listener might know, you know, from from listening, driving along at three in the morning, what it sounds like. But what's it like when you're actually here? It's a bizarre time because your brain is hardwired to be asleep at that time, but you have to be alert and focused. And doing radio is kind of like driving a car. You know, you've got all these different things going on that you have to be aware of and checking. And yeah, there's a lot of buttons in front a lot of me. Of buttons. I don't know what most of them do. Um, but, um, <laughs> but look, I just press them and then, and if we start talking, usually things, things get out there. Yeah. But at some stage uh, on the all nights, you're here by yourself. So you don't have people like you to fall back on. You don't. So you're getting your head around the panel and you're pretty much by yourself in the station, right? It's almost a little bit scary as well because there's a lot of glass around. Sometimes you catch your reflection moving a little bit and you think someone else is in here. <laughs> at four in the morning. At four in the morning, <laughs> you have a bit of a heart attack. It's nightmarish. Mm. Absolutely. But then I sort of so, sort of started to think from the perspective of the listener, who's up right now? Who am I talking to? When have I been awake in four o'clock in the morning and listening to the radio? And started thinking about how I can talk to that person. And, you know, when you hear someone on the radio, you kind of think that's what people are doing when they listen to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a really beautiful sentiment. I really like that. As a radio maker, I really like that. Who, what are, who are they and what are they doing right now? Yeah. Um, this is a, a story of a victory story. The, the, the girl from Grafton makes it. You eventually end up on, uh, with your very own show on mornings, two days a week, which you've been now been doing for a while. Yeah. How, how did it come to you? So the then programming director pulled me into the music library for a quick chat and I was like, oh, what have I done? You know, I've, I've screwed something up here. I've said something wrong. And she said, hey, I've really been liking the way you've been sounding. Do you want to do mornings? Which is um, two days a week. And I was just like, oh, 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 yes, yes, please. Oh, God, yes. And I think that was one of the best pieces of news I ever had. I walked out of this station on my way home up to the train station at Redfern with the most confidence I've ever had in my life. I had so much swag in my step. I was like pointing at people I didn't even know across the street. And I just got home and called everyone like, I'm going to be on mornings on FBI. Like it was a, literally a dream come true moment. <laughs> Bridie, what are we going to play first? Let's go to some music now. What do we play in tribute to your FBI radio journey? Well, this song, uh, Sunscreen by, uh, sorry, Voices by Sunscreen came out when I sort of first got mornings. And I think this is one of the songs I would have had in my headphones, walking up from the station, feeling infinitely confident. And it just reminds me of that time, this sort of warm Sydney air, the weather starting to change, that jangly guitar sound that just is so chronically Sydney, it hurts. 
yeah, and just a legendary Sydney band.
local band Sunscreen There and Voices for this edition of Out of the Box. I'm incredibly lucky to be joined by uh, more, by um, Morning's host, uh, Bridie Tanner. Bridie, what what was it like uh, growing up on the on the outskirts of Grafton, if we can go there? Yeah. Where this is where you grew up. I grew up in South Grafton and moved around a little bit on the lands of the Bundjalung and Gumbangia people. And we were in South, which was a bit of a poor part of town. And we had a bit of a gripe against the people in North Grafton who had bigger houses than us and a bit of, you know, a bit of rivalry there. But I also grew up in a few little places around like Woolai and I went to a school with only 30 kids in it. Palmer's Island only had about, I don't know, maybe 60 kids that went to that primary school. So these are what kind of satellite Yeah, towns just little towns in the, in the Clarence Valley area. What sort of family did you grow up in? So I grew up with my mum, a single mum of three kids. I was the oldest. My brother and sister are three and four years younger than me. And we were ferals slash bogans. We loved anything that was, you know, who could who could jump off the veranda into the pool? Who could do a backy off the trampoline? Who could strap a... This is one of the... This is like a poor person's version of like wake surfing. We would get our granddad's tinny and like strap a rope to the back of it and then tie a stick to that rope and then get an old surfboard or a boogie board and try and like rip each other along in the river. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? What did go wrong? Well, one time... I brought a scooter, like a little Honda scooter, and me and my brother decided we were going to... We were bored, and this is what Bogans do when they're bored. They chuck a rope on the back of a scooter, and then someone holds onto that rope and stands on a skateboard. (laughs) And we pulled each other up and down the street for, I don't know, half an hour. It was all going well. And then my brother jumped on the scooter and decided he was going to tow me along. And... He just hit the throttle a little bit too hard at one point and ripped me off and I came down on my head (laughs) and wasn't wearing a helmet and lay unconscious on the road for about five minutes and came to and he said, oh, do you want me to tow you back home? I was like, nah, that's that's enough of that game. (laughs) That's quite enough for that day. Yeah, yeah. How old was your mum um, when she had you? Was she quite a young mum? I'm older now than my mum when she had all of us kids. So she was, I think, 20... Two twenty-three when she's had me. So it was a a big deal to be a single mum in that situation. I think so. Yeah. I think she. Well, she, my dad left when we were like I was like five-ish. So she had three under five and a single mum, which is a which is really tough. Did she have much support elsewhere? She, she had good parents, and my dad's parents as well have been supportive over the years, but she hasn't had a lot of money. So we kind of grew up on a Centrelink income which is ridiculously low. And because the uh, because it's such a, you know, shitty system, she also had no support for her mental illness, which made it really hard for her to get employment as well. So, yeah. I, I want to get to um, your mum's mental illness in, herself, uh, in, a, in itself because that's a whole um, other chapter. Um, but on the subject of mental health, you mentioned to me off air that there's a specific bogan approach to mental health, which, yeah, <laughs> which I have is, to get you to tell this me is about. Sort of, it, it has its merit. I'm not saying this is a this is a cure all for mental health, but on my tenor side of my family, it's a very you know chin up, she'll be right sort of attitude. And one of the things that when anyone's going through a hard time is really enforced is you show up to Tenebrecki on a Sunday, which is my nan and Ted do like a big fry up on the balcony. And it's the most budget cage eggs, like no organic shit. 
bacon, just heaps and heaps of bacon, cheap-ass Aldi tomato sauce, orange drank, and you just all get together on the balcony and you have a feed together on a Sunday morning. So it doesn't matter if you've had the most wrecked night, doesn't matter who you slept with, how hungover or, you know, coming down or how awful you feel. Instead of lying in bed and feeling sorry for yourself and letting those feelings sort of you know, gain traction, you get up and you just go to Tenebrae. You just show up. doesn't matter what state you're in. Even if you're still up from the night before, you have to show up. People often talk about the charm of um, growing up in regional towns is that there's a stronger sense of community and that everyone knows everybody. Was that true of Grafton? Was that true of your experience, even when, I mean, you're basically living in poverty? It is a bit of a cliche that everyone knows stuff about your family like who you are and where you come from. So you can walk down the street and someone will be like, oh, that's such and such as kid. But I think for me, I was a little bit more ashamed of the poverty because I went to a Catholic school, my grandparents insisted, and, uh, you know, basically pushed us into Catholic school when I got into high school. So I was sort of more like um, tried to hide a little bit the poverty that I had come from when I went to school, if you know what I mean. So I was sort of pushing it away when I got into my teen years. But yeah, there is definitely a sense of, you know, because there everyone does know everyone, you feel a little bit safer walking down the street because the chances are the person that drives past you and, and yells out the window is like a cousin or an auntie and an uncle. Do you, th- <laughs> do you think that in some way would have made it easier or harder for your mum having to raise you guys by herself at such a young age. Yeah, there was probably a bit of social stigma as well for her. In the country, people aren't very good at mental health, and I guess maybe in the city as well. Maybe just as a country, we're not very good at mental health. But I think there was no, oh, okay, she's got schizophrenia, bipolar. This is what we all need to step in and do and help her. She sort of got a little bit more isolated, and that's that's the worst part, I think, of mental health is when people don't know what to do about you, so they just... Pretend everything's fine or, you know, just don't don't bring it up, that sort of thing. What do you think, um, coming from um, a family with a, being sustained basically by Centrelink, which is still shockingly low now, mm. um, how do you think that that's informed you as a radio maker, particularly operating now in this community, which is um, overwhelmingly uh, city-based, maybe... Um, uh, do, do you are you conscious of a way in which that would affect your approach to the to the sort of radio that you make? I think the good thing about radio is one, it's free, so you don't need to have money to access radio. You can just flick it on in the car and have that connection with someone. And I do think about who I'm connecting with a lot when I'm behind the microphone and who's listening right now. And the other thing too is you don't have to look a certain way to be on radio. So you never have to think about what clothes you're wearing or anything about your appearance. And it's just about the voice. I think that's a really, really cool, rare aspect of this medium. Sure. And I think that that's um, especially true of FBI and so far as it's giving opportunities for um, people that might not otherwise have access to these sorts of platforms to create them. And that's definitely something that I try to do with this show, but I think also just presenters across the board. Um and on that note, I will, um, Spruik, I think it's an, uh, a good time to say that we, we are looking for people this episode to join our radio community and to um, and, and to contribute, whether you're a regular listener or you've just come on board as an FBI radio listener. Um, so if, you, if you're interested just for $10 a month, we'd love you to 
to join to join in, head over to fbiradio.com slash support. At $10 a month, it is certainly very meaningful. Before we go more into the story of your mum, Bridie, it would be good to go to some more music. What do you reckon we can play to Grafton and the, that experience of that early period in your life? Well... I really would love to hear some John Williamson today, <laughs> just because before I had any MP3 player or anything, we used to listen to cassette tapes and we had this one. I don't know why, we just loved it so much. We just smashed it, me and my brother. Uh, and I don't know, his voice is so funny. It's just a good thing for the whole family to sort of get around a bit of John Williamson. He's also one of my Nan's favourites, so shout out to Nan. <laughs> Let me tell you of an interview with an old man emu. He's got a beak and feathers and things, but the poor old fitter ain't got no wings. Aren't you jealous of the witch tailed eagle? I'm better did than that. I know. Well, the eagle's flying round and round to keep my two feet firmly on the ground. Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you, I could run the pants of a kangaroo. But I do, he can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, he was the model for the 50 cents. Um, better didn't da da da. The designer should have had more sense. Um, better didn't da da da. Take a look, it'll prove to you. I ran the pace of that kangaroo, but I don't do. Take a look, it'll prove to you. He ran the pace of the kangaroo. You can't loop the loo like a crocodile, too. Um, better didn't da da da. Swoop and toss like an albatross. Um, better didn't da da da. Chilly galar, I'm better by far than a white cockatoo or a budgery gar. They squeak and squawk and try and talk. Well, me and them's like cheese and chalk. But I don't do. He can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, the dingo came around one day. Um, better didn't da da. But the emu was too smart for him. <laughs> Walk right up and kick him in the shin. But I He can't fly, but I'm telling you, we can run the pants of a dingo too. Oh, yeah, but he had to kick me in the shin. Well, the last time I saw old man emu, I'm better da-da-da. He was chasing a female he knew, I'm better da-da-da. He shot past, I heard him say, She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pants of a kangaroo, but I don't do. She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um, but I did da da da. Thrush can sing, but he ain't pretty, um, but I did da da da. Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. Emu can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, the kookaburra laughed and he said, It's true, um, but I did da da da. Bloody hell, good on you, John Williamson, right there on your FBI radio. How lucky are we? That's How... such, a, such a maniacal laugh at the end. 
So wonderful. <laughs> so wonderful. Out of the box uh, is this show live and on podcast. Each week we sit down with one guest and pluck their stories. Today I'm with Morning's host, Bridie Tanner. Bridie, can I ask if you remember coming to the realisation that something might be up with your mum's mental health? How old were you and, and where were you? So I was uh, had a one kilometre walk from the bus back to my house down a dirt road, which was a house in the middle of a cane field on an island kind of scary like an old farmhouse kind of vibe anyway a neighbor of ours asked if I needed a lift home I was like yeah sure sounds good jumped in jumped out got home and mum was really really upset that I got a lift home with a stranger which seems like something that a normal mum would actually be upset about but I knew my mum and we had a real lack of rules in our house like it was pretty much just one for all and all for one sort of thing just go for it go nuts kids and yeah, so for her to for her to be really like angry and upset that I had gotten a lift home with someone kind of just struck just struck me as weird. And a, a few days later, she had gone into a full blown psychosis. So how old were you that weekend when you were dropped home from school? That was when I was in, I think my first year of year seven. Yeah, first year of high school. And your siblings were there as well. Yeah. How old were they? They would have been about seven, eight years old. So the burden kind of falls to you as, what, a 12-year-old to respond? Yeah. So you go to live with your grandparents for a little while. Yeah. What was that transition like? Was it? Well, they're really strict and we weren't used to having any rules imposed on us. So I think this is when I started to like get a little bit of a rebellious streak in me and wanted to sort of kick back a little bit against authority and rules and that sort of thing. Did you get to see your mum much at all? No, she pretty much just went to hospital after that and then went to a um, psychiatric ward in Lismore. Right. Um, was she content with that? Was she okay there? I think she didn't have a real good time with it, with the mental health care system. Right. And how would she respond to it? Well, I I haven't had these conversations too in-depthly with her because I know it, it does bring up a lot of pain, but I think she is ready to talk about it now. And from what I've heard, it was pretty much torture for her. So your mum had um, been raising you basically on a Centrelink allowance. Did your grandparents have the resources to raise you in a different way? Yeah, my nan had a really good approach to raising kids. She re reared five kids on, like they had money, but it was kind of all pissed up the wall, thrown in the pokies sort of thing. So her approach was she took us all grocery shopping and went up to the deli and bought a kilo of Devon. And we begged her not to. We were like, Nan, we hate Devon so much. Please. <laughs> no, Devon. Went and got like a few loaves of white bread and some tomato sauce. And we just sat there all night and made Devon tomato sauce white bread sandwiches, wrapped them up in plastic and put them in the freezer. So there was just at least something always there we could grab and, and dethaw. There's a stigma uh, around mental health, particularly... I thought you were going to say Devon. <laughs> <laughs> there's a stigma with Devon. There's a stigma with um, mental health too, particularly around um, amongst older people. Your life has obviously changed enormously since you were 12. What sort of relationship do you have with your mum today? Mental illness is never clean cut and black and white. There's a lot of shades of grey. And so for me, I think there's still a lot of hurt for some of those times where she wasn't there, but it's, it's, it's hurt that's sort of mixed up with a feeling of guilt. Like you can't be angry at someone for 
being mentally unwell. You can't resent them for that. Sure. It's a, it's a, she got dealt a really hard hand. And I think when I think back about how good of a mum she actually was in terms of, you know, her sayings, like there's nothing a good night's sleep won't fix or, you know, giving us the freedom to do creatively whatever we wanted as kids and just you know making us stuff and like she was a big crochet she is a big crocheter and big knitter and just making us these really funky swimsuits and dresses and putting all this creative energy that she had swirling around in our head into projects like writing music as well she loves playing guitar and writing songs and I think my relationship now with her is about focusing on those things that we have in common what can we play for your mum, Bridie? So my mum's a big Dolly Parton fan and Dolly Parton is the ultimate, you know, poor country girl who grew up on dirt floors and uh, made a go of it. So I think it'd be only appropriate to play this coat of many colours. Back through the years I go wandering once again Back to the seasons of my youth I recall a box of rags that someone gave us And how my mama put the rags to use There were rags of many colors But every piece was small And I didn't have a coat And it was away down in the fall Mama sewed the rags together so in every piece we love, she made my coat of many colors that I was so proud of. As she sewed, she told a story from the Bible she had read about a coat of many colors Joseph wore. And then she said, perhaps this coat will bring you good luck and happiness. And I just couldn't wait to wear it. And Mama blessed it with a kiss. My coat of many colors that my mama made for me. Made only from rags, but I wore it so proudly. Although we had no money, well, I was rich as I could be. In my coat of many colors, my mama made for me. So with patches on my britches and holes in both my shoes in my coat of many colors I hurried off to school just to find the others laughing and making fun of me in my coat of many colors my mama made for me and oh I couldn't understand it for I felt I was rich and I told them all the love my mama sewed in every stitch and I told them all the story mama told me while she sewed and how my coat of many colors was worth more than all their clothes but they didn't understand it and I tried to make them see I was rich as I could be in my coat of many colors my mama made 
for me, made just for me. Thank you very much, Dolly Parton, for that beautiful song uh, brought into FBI Radio today and out of the box, this show and podcast by Bridie Tanner. Your morning's host is my guest. I I wonder on the back of that if, um, in some ways, coming from your life experience, um, which is a hell of a life experience um, with your mother and also just being in poverty in Grafton, um, uh, it has affected... We prefer Povo. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, has uh, affected the way that you approach radio. Do you, do you have a philosophy of radio in terms of the thinking about um, about uh, who you are in the media, for example, coming from that background? I guess radio is for everyone would be the real takeaway. There's so many different stories you hear listening to radio and it is accessible to everyone. And it gives people who maybe are a little bit marginalised, a platform to tell their story and to chase down a dream in my instance. I don't think I would have been able to break into TV or, or anything like that. It's, it's, too, it's too out of reach. Radio is the people's platform and it's a platform solely for voice, which is just messaging. It's just messages going across, you know, rather than so much branding and like visual aesthetic and all that sort of thing that can muddy it. Do you think about uh, what it, what your personal story means for what you're trying to achieve with radio? Are, are you because I mean in some ways this is just entertainment, right? Where um where speaking, where maybe creating community, um taking people away just like you would any other medium films, um television. Um but uh, for for me there's 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 some more intent with this with, with the intimacy that comes from this medium. Do you ever think think about that, particularly in the, in reflection of your life experience? Yeah, I think I always wanted to get out of Grafton and do something that was, you know, bigger and better and more exotic and fabulous. And <laughs> maybe not everyone thinks of radio like that, but I certainly do. I think it's the most wonderful thing in the whole world. I love radio because of its... Um, there's a tremendous dignity in this format. I, I like to think of the fact that long before uh, television, quite a, quite a long time before um, people were watching movies, people were already listening to radio. This is like our great-great-grandparents. This is a 19th century invention. And the format has not actually changed all that much. I mean, maybe I'd uh, be talking a little bit more like this if it was yes. 100 years ago. But um, So maybe it's become uh, uh, more relaxed. But... You know, it's just two voices, uh, and there's something really wonderful um, in that. Bridie, what are, what are we going to play to finish this episode of Out of the Box? Oh, okay. Well, it's a toss-up. I think Chicane's Don't Give Up, or uh, possibly Radio Radio by Metronomy. I'm I'm leaning a little bit towards Chicane because it's such a cheesy classic. And it sort of has that, it's featuring Brian Adams, which is such a weird crossover of like cultural, like, you know, contemporary country and also like house party music. And one of the stories was I was yanked out of year two and my auntie decided that I was going to get taken around the country on a rave protest journey called Earth Dream 2000. Earth Dream 2000. Yeah. I recently went on a likely story to tell this whole story in full because it's got its own 
it's got its own things going on, but it was the most eye-opening, extremely profound experience you could ever have as a six-year-old traveling tens of thousands of kilometers in the Australian desert in the back of a car with no seatbelts, lying down on a mattress with my cousin and a giant dog who had a tendency of (laughs) ripping the legs off of sheep every time it got out of the car and went for a run and being... Yeah, being six and then coming back to normal society after that and being like, whoa, what the hell just happened? I remember catching a flight back from Uluru to Grafton and I was in a tie-dye dress and I was so blissed out from this like six months doof fest slash uranium protest that I'd been to. And the Qantas air host was like, oh, what if, where are you coming from? What are you up to? And I told her the story and her face was just like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about like it was the first time I realized that like you know there's people who never get to experience this sort of thing go to a door well with that here comes um Bridie's choice don't don't give up yeah uh, chicane with with accompanied by Brian Adams
This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.